Everyone? Isn't that great? Fantastic. Knowing God's voice. I think we might come back to that theme. Excellent. Okay. Um, if you could just put up the first slide. Um, today, uh, I'm looking at... I wonder which one goes forward. Down? Oh, right. Okay, that's fine. Today, we're going to look at um, an illustration uh, from the Bible. Um, well, actually, this bit isn't from the Bible. This is from Middle Earth, and uh, it comes from the Tolkien story, Lord of the Rings, and it's from the Two Towers uh, film. And I want to look at a particular a scene. It's about 10 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> so those of you in the back row, you know, you've got the right seat for the cinema. Sorry? Popcorn. Do you know, I forgot to get that on the way here. Um, we're going to pick up with King Theoden. Um, our heroes, Gandalf and his cronies, are plowing across the plain to make a big difference in King, King Theoden's life. Uh, and uh, King Theoden, you'll find, is not maybe the king that you would expect to see. So I think without further uh, prevarication... Let's have a look at this film. Who have I been listening to? Theoden's mind is overthrown in the story because he's been listening to Wormtongue. Wormtongue who's been sowing seeds into his head which have sounded like truth. And Wormtongue has insisted that they are true. But the result for the king is that the king has been, he's aged, he's aged, visibly aged, he's weak, he's unsure, seems to be blind, doesn't he, unable to see, insecure, miserable, unable to function, unable to even respond to the needs of his own family. You know, sometimes the enemy wants to sow things into our heads that keep us bound up like this. When Tolkien wrote the story of the Lord of the Rings, he was writing it as a kind of allegory. That it's not as obvious as The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a lot, you know, everything's a lot more hidden. But the battle between good and evil as he saw it is as real here, you know, as, as for us. There is a worm tongue speaking in our ear who can distract us, who can sow those negative thoughts. But we have a choice. We can either be like the king or we can be like Eowyn. When Eowyn is spoken to by Wormtongue, she recognizes him for what he is. And there's an active rejection of what he says. First of all, when he starts, he, talks to, he describes him as being a snake and then at the end, she says, your words are poison. And that's exactly what they are. When the enemy speaks lies into our ears, they're like poison because they have the ability to have an effect that spreads throughout our whole body. It starts in one place, in our ear, but it can impact the whole way of our thinking, the way of our acting, how we feel, and our usefulness. 
to God. See, acceptance and accommodation are not the same thing. We need to be those that will take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about that, that very thing, taking captive every thought. And that means that everything that comes in through my ears needs to be filtered, subject to that, to that filter that says, Lord, is this helpful? Is this true? Is this true by your standard? There are some thoughts and conversations that are never going to help us. Even though the enemy claims to speak the truth, and we need to take these things captive, sometimes by declaring what we know to be true, sometimes by active rejection of the lies. You know, sometimes we actually need to say, that is simply not true. And it's a real, sometimes it takes a real strong position to accept the person, but to, to understand that what's coming into my ears right now is not helpful. This is not God's perspective on this situation. We are not victims of the world around us. God has made us to be the head, not the tail. And no matter how many times the enemy tells me that I'm being carried along with all the flotsam around, I'm not being carried along. God is in control. There is a Lord in heaven who's on his throne. He is sovereign. So what brings about change for us? I'll give you a clue. It isn't Gandalf the Grey. Although sometimes it feels like it would be handy if it was. There's a, there's a weapon that's more powerful even than Gandalf's staff. And uh, in today's uh, talk, I want to look at what I believe to be one of the most powerful weapons that we have at our disposal. So I'm going to actually talk about the Bible now. So I'm not staying in Tolkien for the entire talk. I, have, I, thought, I felt that would be a little bit, uh, little bit much. But before we move on, I don't want to lose the fact. Um, Phil phoned me this week with this illustration. and just, just God had really been stirring him. He might come back to it himself. I think that for some of us, our perspectives need to be corrected. And that for some of us, there has been this kind of worm tongue thing going on. And it may be in a person, it may be in the thoughts that are going on between our ears. And no matter how many times worm tongue tells us this is the truth, it isn't the truth. So there'll be an opportunity later to just come back to that because I think that's, that's a very powerful illustration. What needs to happen is we need to turn aside from those things, find a way to, to turn aside. So let's have a look. We're going to look at Revelation 2, verse 1. And I want to read you um, scripture which is based on what Jesus said to John when he was on the island of Pat, um, Patmos around about 90 AD. John had a vision and Jesus appeared to him and he spoke these things. He wrote some letters. Jesus gave some words to go to some churches. And this is the church in Ephesus. 
So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walked among the seven seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles uh, but are not and found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. This is a church that's done pretty well. This is a church that's, that has worked hard, that has persevered, that has struggled in places, but not grown weary. This is a church that's doing outwardly the right things. The opening bit there is quite interesting. To the angel, I mean, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, he's talking about to the leader of the church, and the, the, the seven stars that are held in Jesus' hand, those are the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And commentators reckon, and it seems to me that sounds a pretty good thing to think about, that the leaders of a church are held in Jesus' hand. And I quite like to remember that sometimes, particularly if worm tongue is whispering in my ear. Actually, I'm in Jesus' hand. And you have no right to touch me. I have this against you, Jesus says. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'm going to keep coming back to this scripture just during what we're talking about today. So as I've already said, a little bit of background. The church in Ephesus um, was a big church, a successful church. When this was being written, it was about 96 AD, about 40 years after Jesus wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And about um, 60 years before, uh, after, um, we read about, not 60, and about, it was about 10 years earlier when we read about um, the church of, in Ephesus in Acts. Now, the Ephesians have got a good track record, um, and at the end of Paul's letter, in Ephesians 6.24, the Ephesians are noted because they love the Lord with an undying love. They'd stuck to the truth, they persevered, but not grown weary. Now, as I was reading that, I was thinking, so, loving the Lord with an undying love, plus 40 years, means forgotten first love, or not means, but that's what's happened for this church. 40 years have gone by in the life of this church, and something has changed quite deeply. And I think there's something quite significant about 40 years. Speaking as someone who's been alive for a bit over 40 years, but not many, I'd like to point out, 40 years is, is a generational thing. 
The people that are leading the church in Ephesus now, when Jesus is writing this, or Jesus is speaking this, are not the same people that were leading the church, very likely, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians. There needs to be a fresh catching of vision if a church is to keep in step with the Spirit of God. There needs to be a fresh impact of the love of God. There needs to be a fresh revelation of the love of God. And that's what I think God is speaking to us about. There was a, there's a scene um, in, in the film that we've just looked at where uh, the king is given back his sword and he's like looking at it and you can see on his face, because he's an actor, but you can see this kind of remembrance thing going on. Oh yeah, remember what this is for. Jesus has put into the hands of each of us a sword because we reign with him. And when he joined us together, he joined us together to fight, to seek the kingdom, to bring his rule. When Paul visits the Ephesian church in Acts, theirs is the church that hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Theirs is the church that know all about baptism and think it's a great thing, this following Jesus malarkey, but they're getting on with it without the Holy Spirit. And that's when he prays for them and they receive the Holy Spirit in Acts. So this church has, has known what it is to be hardworking, is, is a pretty solid kind of place. It's the kind of place that would keep on going through thick and thin. But it needs the power of the Spirit so that they remember the first love. But what is this first love thing? Is it some kind of romantic holiday? Is it the kind of thing that makes you go, oh? Is it, is it something that, well, you're lucky if you get it, but, you know, not everyone has this? Well, I think in the tradition, we should always follow with what it isn't. So here are my thoughts on what first love isn't. So first love is not immature. First love is not something which you have like when you're a young Christian and then like when you've been a Christian for like as many years as me, uh, uh, like it must be at least, you know, at least several years, um, you know, that, that first love begins to, to dim. It can't be that because otherwise it would be pointless, Jesus telling the church they need to remember their first love. It's not short-term. Oh, I've gone the wrong way. It's not short-term. It's not, oh, this is great, this new Christianity thing. I'm going to follow Jesus to the end of the road. Like, I've just dug this up. This is a great thing. I'm going to do this. And then after a little while, we get a bit bored with it and think, oh, okay. It's not enthusiasm for a new toy. Not something we grow out of. I remember one time back in the day, uh when I first joined the church, um, we had a, an exciting all-day prayer meeting. Um, oh, no, not all day, all-night prayer meeting on a, Christ, on a New Year's Eve. And, uh, and uh, I decided I wanted to go. So I was talking to someone else in the church about you know, this all-night prayer meeting that I was going to and how excited and thought it was great and asked him, are you going? 
So, no, that kind of thing, it's good for when you first join the church, but, you know, when you've been here for a while, you won't bother with things like that. And I thought, oh, okay. So God matters when you first join a church, but he doesn't matter after a while. I don't think that's what first love is. And um, first love is not, it's not based on how I feel, but there should be something in my emotions that comes out, I think. Otherwise, it's that deep, deep love that has, is so deep that it's, yeah, it's in that same place that enables... There's a scripture that says that many are called and a few are chosen. Well, that's sometimes written, many are cold and a few are frozen, when talking about the church. Um, God doesn't want us to have our love so buried deep that it has no impact. This love has to have an outworking day by day. So what is it that gets in the way of keeping this thing, this first love, real? Well, in the natural, being unfaithful is fairly damaging to love. And in the spiritual, when we listen to the wrong voices, when we start putting other things in the place of God, we lose our connection with him. We turn our backs on him. And we can't hear him so clearly. Listening to lies. We can grow familiar with things. We can be distracted. We can be disillusioned. We can... We can be living in the realm of past hurts or disappointment. In the parable of the sower, we know that when the seed is sown, some of it lands on good soil. And I want to be good soil. But we also know that sometimes weeds grow up and they choke what God has sown into us. We also know that sometimes the ground's a bit shallow and so that we get quick growth, but then it, it dies away. Little foxes... Proverbs say, spoil the vine. Sometimes little things, little surrenders, get in the way of our love for God. David's fall started with a walk on the roof when he should have been at war and ended up with murder and adultery. So what does, what does first love mean? I think it was last week Hans, you picked up on the word first, I think it was, when we were talking about things, giving thanks to God for, for what he does in us. If you've got a pump, a water pump, that's full of air, it doesn't work. You need to put water into the pump sometimes but in order for you to move the pump, move the water through it. We call that priming the pump. And in some ways, Jesus' love primes us for giving out love to others. Because we're empty, but when God fills us, we can give that love out. So first means it's an initiator. It enables other things. It comes from the same word, um, it's the forerunner, the one who runs ahead of us. So love, I say, which runs ahead of other things. It's first in terms of importance. It's first in terms of time. 
after we've received that, then we can live a life pleasing to God. Until we've received the love of God, we can't truly have faith. We need to receive that love so that we can be primed for loving others. But the amazing thing about love is, the more you have received, and the more you give, the more you receive. The Bible talks about, this is how we know what love is. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can love others with the love that he gives. One of the problems is that we try and love with our love, and then we run out. Um, we need to have God's love. We need to know that we're loved. Sometimes we're sitting in that throne that he's made for us, blind and powerless, because we've listened to the words that have distracted us. We've listened to the lies of the enemy that tell us that we're not loved, that we're not good enough, that actually whatever I did would make no difference. But actually God's made us to be kings in his kingdom. He accepts and forgives without reservation. And um, this first love, which is his love, it lasts forever. So, um, so what about this love thing? Is this the only place that Jesus talks about love being important? I don't think so. When um, the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, so what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and strength. Actually, this is what the ruler says to Jesus, sorry. Jesus agrees. And then, secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, this is something which John's been picking up on when we've been talking about covenant community, that these two things are two sides of the same coin. We can't love God and not love one another. It's impossible. It just doesn't compute. You see your brother in need and you don't do anything. How can the love of God be in you? That's what John writes in his letter. So this love is at the heart of everything. Do I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength, and with all my mind? You see, if we do that, then he, it squashes the lies of worm tongue. It squashes the lies of the enemy. It squashes the voice that would say, you're not good enough. So I've got a few questions for you. But I don't want to know the answers. I want you to think about the answers. So do you reckon, rating scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most you've ever loved God, 0 being the least, do I actually love God more today than I ever have done? Do I love others more than I ever have done? Has my love actually increased? Because actually there's only one way you can go with this thing called love. It has to increase. 
It has to increase. When Paul writes the Corinthians, he says to them, you know, be careful. If you think you're standing firm, in other words, you're not taking ground, but you're just staying where you are, be careful you don't fall. Because actually, God's love and kingdom will always increase. There is only, there is only one way for this to go. It has to increase. His kingdom will increase. His love will increase. What we've received has to increase. Do I know that he loves me? When Jesus is eating and Mary Magdalene comes to him and, and pours the oil over him and, and it's all so embarrassing and everyone's going, oh, why is she doing this? this is, doesn't he know who this is? And Jesus says, he has been forgiven much, loves much. Do you know how much God's forgiven you? See, God has forgiven everything. There is absolutely nothing that the enemy can hold against us. We're loved, accepted, and forgiven completely and utterly. There is nothing that I can do that could make God love me any more than he already does. And there's nothing I can do that would make him love me any less. His love is unconditional. There's a story I remember from a primary school assembly, which I might have told you about, but I'll tell you again because I like it. There's two people, there's, sorry, there's two people, the sun and the wind are having an argument about who's the most powerful. It's not in the Bible. And um, they see this uh, girl walking along the road. I don't know why it's a girl, but it was. And she's wearing a big coat. And, so, and she's got her umbrella up because it's raining. And so the wind starts to blow. It says, oh, I'll show you who's the strongest. And the wind blows, and it blows. And the more the wind blows, and the harder he tries, the more the girl holds on to her coat. This thing is, is bungling her up. She's not free. She's all trapped in. And the harder the wind tries, the more the coat is clasped. And of course, what happens? So the sun says, I'll have a go now. And the sun just shines. God's love is like the sunshine. And in that warmth, she takes the coat off. God's love is like the sunshine. God's love releases us from things that bind us up. God's love is there for us to experience. If we don't know that love, we're all bound up and we're trying to hold on against this wind. But God's love just says, I love you. So, are there thoughts that you need to reject? Have thoughts given a landing place to the enemy? A few random thoughts that have occurred to me, nothing to do with anything that I ever feel. They wouldn't want to see me. Nobody likes me. Well, that's a bit pathetic, isn't it? I have no friends. Well, it's just a statement of fact. Um, no, nobody cares. I'm alone. There's no one like me. That's probably true, but the first part isn't. No one knows what it's like where I am. What 
do you really think God thinks about you? I know I asked this a little while ago, but what do you really think God thinks about you? Do you believe that he's shining his love on you unconditionally? That he's accepting you just as you are? That he's not going to stop giving that love until you change? He's just going to carry on pouring that love into you until you realize that what he thinks about you is not dependent on how you act. That he just loves you completely. And that he sent his son that we could be powered, empowered to live a different life. Not through some wizard staff, but by the power of his grace working in us. As we do what? Well, Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. Now, repentance is not a, not, it doesn't get a great deal of appreciation, I don't think. Most of us would try to avoid it if ever we could. Um, it's sort of, there's a real kind of problem with the whole U-turn thing, isn't it, really? So when we, uh, when, we, when we talk about repentance, we need to understand what we're talking about. Repentance is about making a decision, but walking it out daily, step by step. It's not just about crying yourself to sleep. In fact, it probably isn't that. That's feeling sorry for yourself. Repentance is about saying, Lord, I've been wrong. I've been going this way. I've been listening to the wrong voice. Help me to turn. I'm going to go this way. And step by step, we get closer. Step by step, we move. Asking for God's help, knowing his power of change. See, um, going back to the original scripture, which I've got somewhere here. What Jesus says is, he who overcomes, I give the right to do what? Can you remember? Way back in the day. Eat of the tree of life in paradise. See, John also writes somewhere else that he who overcomes, let me just read you this little, little section from one of his letters, Everyone who believes that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. I'll come back. just want to remind you what I'm saying here. See, he who overcomes. I want us to be really careful because you read that and in traditional speak, it's a very familiar passage. It sounds like it's something that happens then. All right? So I get on with everything. I manage to do everything and when I die, I've overcome and I can eat of the tree of life. Let me just remind you of what John writes about overcoming. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So is it something that happens then or something that happens now? Well, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? 
I can, be an, I can be one who overcomes now, which means the tree of life, the thing that gives me satisfaction, the thing that makes me feel fulfilled, the thing that, that enables me to know life in the fullness that God intended, always intended, in the garden, the redeemed life that he has for each of us, I can know it now. I don't have to wait for it to be then. I can know it now because I've overcome. Because I've overcome. There's not just a promise for them. It's something that God promises for us for now. And so I want to just spend a bit of time. We're just going to... I'm going to finish there. But I I want us to just spend a bit of time. Let's just think about some of these things because I think there is a... For some of us, we just need... We just need to know more of that love of God. It's not a selfish thing, because you can't know the love of God selfishly. It's impossible to receive the love of God and not spend it. Otherwise, I'm just feeling pleased with myself. It's not about feeling pleased with myself. When God's love comes, it comes out of us. When Moses met with God, his eyes, his face was changed. He looked radiant. Everyone said, wow, what's been going on? When we meet with God, his love enables us to shine. Not literally, but to shine with his love. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you that your love goes on forever, that your love has no end, that there is no limit, that we cannot measure it, that we can't find the depth of it, we can't find the height of it, we can't find the width of it. Your love goes on. And Lord, we want to know that love. We want to never be in a place of of persevering, gritting our teeth without knowing that love that drives us, that inspires us, that feeds us. So Lord, for each of us today, I pray that as we worship God now, there will be that release of your love. And afterwards, as we pray together, where there have been different things that have bound us up, Lord, we speak release in the name of Jesus. That the words of the enemy that would have sought to Bind us up, keep us impotent, keep us from doing the things that you have made us to be and, and, and do. Lord, we speak silence to his voice. We speak silence to his voice. We say, Lord, let your voice be heard clearly. So that like Sally was giving testimony this morning, there will be many more of us woken up in the night with your words, not our worries. Woken up with your words of comfort, your words of encouragement, your words of strength. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Your voice is as many waters. There are many, many things you have to say to us. Lord, speak that we might hear. Hallelujah.
I think we really need to reflect on something. And that is, if, if, if you've been coming to church for a while, to this church, and you think about the message that has been brought over the last little while, it's essentially the same, isn't it? It's about God's love for us and us operating in a new dimension, sharing that love in relationship with one another. And I think if you reflect on that, then you either want to kind of jump out because we're banging on about the same things and we're not given a, a balance, or you've got to actually stop and think, actually, why is this being reiterated and reiterated and reiterated? And for me, I was thinking about that because you know, what, what we bring, we feel, is, is the right thing. We feel that it's the thing that God's stirring. So, God, what have you got? Because clearly, there's something more for us in this. And this new depth of love for each of us to experience in God, and this new depth of love to share with one another, is the thing that we feel at the moment we have to see a breakthrough in. We have to see a breakthrough in this. And what was interesting for me, um, you know, that whole film clip thing, I was, I've been talking to various people over the last little while, and there's been something that has been trapping them and me as well in, in various things. And I, I got a, a couple of texts this week from various people, and I saw in one of the texts what looked like a real breakthrough in something. And at the same time, in the next message, there was just a, a kind of a, a blindness to the breakthrough and the potential for the way forward. And I felt so angry. And it, it wasn't ang anger with that person at all, but I just felt so angry that we were being robbed of what God had for us. And I was so angry that this person was being robbed of what was theirs. And, you know, this thing about God stimulating, touching us, and allowing us to, to share that love with, with one another is so important right now. And the enemy would seek to say to you, you don't have relationship, you don't have friendship, you can't possibly enter into this. And I think it's time to say enough is enough, really. And I feel God has given us an authority to say enough. There is something fresh for us to experience. And I am standing here saying, God, you know what? Something needs to change. Something needs to change. If I'm not loving, as Neil said, in a deeper way over this next period of time, then help me. And it's not about, you know, going through the motions and entering into a new form of legalism. But there's something new. Otherwise, guys, this is just, I mean, you must, we, we must be getting bored of the same message. We've heard it before. So there's something that God is trying to say to us and break through on here, which is just so vital. And I don't want to be the one with the glazed eyes when he's saying there's a way forward, there's a path, and I've provided the way, and I've paid the price.
and all the resource of heaven is sitting there for you, I don't want to be the one with the glazed eye, paralyzed by a sense of, you know, I don't know what wickedness, I guess, that has been spoken. So this thing of rejecting the lie and entering into the truth in a new way, I think, is just something that is there for the taking. So I feel so stirred by this. We're not going to go into a, a time of worship now. We, c- we can afford to do things differently, can't we? And I think what we're going to do is we're going to allow extra time this morning for us to respond so that if you want prayer before the kids come back, you know, there's opportunity for you to do that without that distraction. And we can have some of the leaders come. And I think if, if you want to respond and just say, God, help me, if that's it, then great, come forward. If it's something specific where you want to stand with someone and say, I've been listening to this lie about, you know, God doesn't love me or others don't love me and etc. Just have someone stand with you and pray out in that. You know, if you, if you don't feel to share, that's fine. You, you know, just fellowship um, sort of quietly in a way that won't distract those, those people responding. Um, and, you know, ha- enjoy that as well. That's absolutely fine. But I think there are people here this morning who this is a ripe time to serve notice and to say enough is enough, God. I actually want everything you have for me. Help me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. I'm stuck, I'm stuck, but I need your help. And I think if that's all you can pray, then that is absolutely perfect. Yeah? So if perhaps we could have house group leaders, um, you, you know, and actually if you're a house group leader and you want to respond, you know, we can flex, we can pray for people and we can be prayed for. And if we could have some of the core leaders and the prophetic strat- strategy group come up, but... Let's let's pray. Let's let's enter into this.